Amen. You may be seated. What glorious truth. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Turn the podium off. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 20. I'm only going to look at one verse, verse 11 this morning. <clears throat> we'll finish our series on the names slash titles of Christ that we've had this year to run up to Christmas with. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. This is the Word of God. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went, out to be, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. That's far God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we look into your word that you would help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit, that you would help us to hear it as the very word of God. And 
love it and live in its light. Love our Savior and stand in awe of our God. Lord, help us to look at a familiar text and gain new insight, new knowledge, new depth, new awe, new appreciation, new wonder at the salvation that you have wrought in your Son. So bless us as we look into your word. We thank you for the gift of your Son. And we pray it in his holy name. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I still have a vivid memory of sitting on the bottom of the deep end of the pool and wondering if someone was going to come and get me. I was a little guy. And for some reason, well, I'll preface it with, in the town that I was raised in, there was a public swimming pool. And it was a big pool, and it had a shallow end and a deep end, and it had a low dive and a high dive. You know, all those things lawyers have removed, um, <laughs> or lawsuits, whatever. Not, we have good lawyers in the house today, so I'm not getting on, <laughs> I'm not getting on the, onto them or getting myself in trouble with them. <clears throat> but we went up there. I mean, we went every day in the summer. We had a great time in, in that pool. But when I was very little... Somehow I got the, the idea that I could go jump off the diving board. And without a lot of thought, I got out of the shallow end of the pool, went around to the low dive. I wasn't brave enough for the high dive yet. And off the end of it, I went. And I swam like a brick. I mean, I don't even remember how, but I mean, I went to the bottom. And I still can remember being on the bottom of that pool looking up and seeing my brother's form come through the water down and get me out. He was the lifeguard of the pool at that time. He saved me from drowning. I needed a savior. I was helpless on the bottom of that pool. And if nobody had seen me go down to the bottom of that pool, that would have been it for Jeff. Kids, if you can't swim, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, if you can't swim, don't jump off the deep end. It won't work well. I later learned to swim and, and, and love the water. But see, we're born with a, in a more desperate situation than me sitting on the bottom of that pool. We're born needing a Savior. We're born needing rescue. We're born desperate, although we don't know it. And the situation for us spiritually is worse than it was for me sitting on the bottom of the pool. I was alive. I was looking up. I was hoping someone was coming to get me. Spiritually, we're born dead in sin and trespasses, going our own way not looking for God. We need the gospel to invade our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit such that we're delivered from our deadness and sin unto life so that we can see for the first time and turn, repent, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so today we're going to talk about Christ as Savior and see who that Savior is as we look in verse 11, right in the middle of a very familiar text. And you know, we're talking about reading the Bible, and one of the things you have to fight against when you read the Bible is familiarity. Man, we, this, these shepherds, we can just read right through that. The angels filling the sky and praising God, and we can just, oh, yeah, yeah, you go around. But if you put yourself in that situation, you'll wonder how they lived through it. Astonishing. And what we have before us today is astonishing truth about that baby that was in the manger. And that's not a crib. Born in a low condition. So this week we're going to look at Savior, Christ, and Lord as we finish our series for 2021 uh, Christmas season, the names, and you could put slash titles of Christ. But the main point, I do have one this week. Jesus is the Savior because He has both the power and the authority to save. This is an astonishing statement by the angel in verse 11. And so we want to look at it a little more deeply as we um, conclude at least our Christmas season. <clears throat> Listen, don't wait till Christmas to contemplate the incarnation and contemplate the birth of Christ. But we do specially focus on it during Christmas. And so we'll end it here with the angel's testimony as to exactly who was lying in that manger. Jesus is the Savior because he, because he has both the power and the authority to save. So look at back in verse 11, 2.11 in your Bibles on the screen, however you're looking at it. But this is good news of great joy for all the people. And the angel says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, prophesied, Micah 5.2, specifically, to be the place the Messiah would be born. Joseph's hometown. Unto you is born this day in the city, look, a Savior. First point, Jesus is the Savior. Unto you, shepherds, they were the low and the out, you know, they were the low, the dot bottom of the social barrel. And to all the people is born this day in fulfillment of all the previous hopes in the city of David, a Savior. And when you hear that word Savior, what do you think? What's the definition floating around in your head when you hear the word? Well, a Savior is one who can deliver or rescue from some trouble or danger. Right? And there, there are little S Saviors, uh, like all through the Old Testament. and My brother was a human deliverer for me when I was on the bottom of the pool. But a Savior is one who can deliver rescue from some trouble and danger. And so the angel is delivering the message that a Savior has been born. And as we'll see, it's a one-of-a-kind Savior. But the angel says a Savior has been born. And we know, looking back on it, and we've got a lot more information than those shepherds have, that this Savior who was born, who was in that manger, is the Son of God incarnate is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So let me ask you, what did he come to save his people from? Political oppression? Backaches? Poverty? A lot of that's a memory, uh, uh, what goes, uh, not a memory, but part of the misery that accompanies sin. But he came to deliver us from sin. He came to deliver us from captivity in sin and the wrath due sin. Somebody said death. Yes. Spiritual as well as physical death, the consequences of our sin. The soul that sins shall die. The day you eat of it, you shall die, God said. And they did. Not physically. Gracious, pause there. But immediate interruption in the relationship with God, dead in sin and trespasses from that moment with physical death following on its heels after some time. But Jesus came to deliver, to rescue His people from captivity in sin, from the presence and the power of sin and the, the curse do that sin. I mean, remember what the angel, we did a series one year called the, the Angels, or I can't remember what it was, Messengers, something like that. Anyway, it was about four of the angelic visitations. But Joseph wouldn't have married Mary if it wasn't for an angel giving him a message. And the message he was given was you shall, she will bear a son, Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, literally Greek, Jesus, Hebrew, Joshua, the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. Saves from what? Sin. And what are sins Deserve and certainly, ultimately, the, all the misery that attends sin. We know in the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more tears, crying, pain, because there'll be no more death, there'll be no more misery. Then, until then, we walk through it in faith. But you shall call his name Jesus, this, because he will save his people. His very name reflects the fact that he is a savior. He is a deliverer who has come to answer for and solve our greatest problem. You do know that your greatest problem is your sin, right? It's not your spouse's sin or your brother or sister's sin or your parent's sin or your co-worker's sin. You're always the biggest sinner in the picture. You should be the main Worry in your own heart. The imagery Jesus uses of log in our eye and a speck in our brother's eye. That's how we should see it so that we're gracious and merciful and patient and kind. Doesn't mean we're never firm. But Jesus came to save us from our greatest problem, which is our sin. Paul says near the end of his life, to Timothy, his child in the faith. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ, we'll get that to that name title in a minute, Christ Jesus came into the world to make his people comfortable and to never have anything hurt them. Well, most of us have messed up if that's how it's supposed to work. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am the foremost. So let me ask you, 
Are you a sinner? Even little children going. If you don't think you're a sinner, you're deceiving yourself, John says in 1 John. And listen, in some, in some way, everybody admits they're a sinner. To err is human, right? Let me ask you that question again. Are you a humble sinner? Are you humble enough, enough to admit that you have sinned against God and offended God and deserve His wrath? Why, why would that be humble? Because the humble are the teachable and the humble are the ones who receive the testimony of the Word of God and that's what the Word of God says. Are you humble enough to look outside of yourself for salvation? See, whether you like it or not or believe it or not, you are even more helpless than I was on the bottom of that pool. You cannot save yourself. Why? Because you cannot keep His law in thought, word, and deed perfectly. You cannot stand on your own two feet before God. You will either be humble enough to receive the message that all have sinned. All deserve condemnation. But that Jesus came to deliver us from that so that you look to Him for salvation. I mean, we sang it. The hymn we sang. I've told you all this before. There are only two religions in the world. There are only two religions in the world. One of them, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, right? Nothing in my hands I bring and something in my hands I bring. There's something I can do to make myself right with you. I'll do my best and you do the rest. There's a category for that. Nonsense. Hogwash. Not biblical. What can we do to make ourselves right with God? What does the Bible say? All our righteousness is filthy. All of our attempts are filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. If you're a humble sinner, you not only admit you're a sinner, it grieves you that you've offended God and you're willing to look to Him for salvation, not to bring Him some defiled offering that you think is going to make you right with Him. And outside of Jesus, all of your Bible reading, Sunday school attendance, giving to the church, giving your neighbor a pie, all of that is a filthy rag outside of Jesus. It's a blessed thing in Christ. But I'm asking you, who are you hoping in this morning? Because... You need a Savior, and God has provided one. The very first thing this, the angel says is, a Savior has been born. You need Him. And the main reason you need Him is not just... Cap it is sin, if you want to put it in one word. And it is that we are captive in sin. But it is, there is a day coming when the wrath due that sin will be delivered. And you want to be standing in Jesus and not yourself. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves, everybody around the Thessalonians reported what had happened. It was so obvious and glaring and went out like a, a, a trumpet blast of what God had done. It says, they themselves report concerning us what kind of reception we had among you and how you turned 
Look at this. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. Jesus. Now watch. What does He deliver from? Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you think God can just sweep your sins under the rug like you do with your grandkids, you don't understand holiness and righteousness and justice. Sin must be punished or God can't remain righteous and just and holy. And it is an offense to think that He would do that to His Son on the cross to satisfy justice and yet let you off the hook. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is a Savior. He's a glorious Savior. But it also teaches us that He's the only Savior. Out of Jesus' own lips, He says, No one can come to the Father except through Me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice all those definite articles. The way, the truth, the life. And no one can come to the Father except through Me. And He proved it. By not only dying, but by rising from the grave. So if you want to prove Christianity is not true, disprove the resurrection. Leave off all the petty picking and nitpicking. Because Christ proved He is the Savior by being raised from the grave. And for His people, He, can, he brings a perfect salvation. See, he doesn't do 99% and leave 1% up to you. You know why? You'd be lost. He doesn't do 99.9% and leave the rest to you. Because whatever the rest would be, we would foul it up. We would defile it. Look at Hebrews 10, 14, and I encourage you to go read Hebrews. But it says, now watch about this. How did this Savior deliver us? By offering himself. What John call him? John the Baptist. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How did He do it? Watch this. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Yes, we're being grown in grace after we come to faith in Jesus. We're justified on the basis of Jesus. His righteousness credited to us and we are being sanctified or being transformed into His image as long as we live on this planet. But we can know, even as weak and needy and sinful as we are, if our hope is in Jesus and we're seeing growth and grace in our life, it is evidence that He has saved us. And if He has saved us, His salvation is perfect. Look at it. By a single offering of Himself, He's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What's the message of Christmas? He was born to die he was born to die he's not still this little baby he's king now he's coming again scripture says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures he paid a penalty he did not owe but a penalty we could not pay 
God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He was the Lamb of God. He was the propitiation for our sins. He took the condemnation we deserve. He drank that cup dry on the cross and said, It is finished before He gave up His Spirit. He died as the perfect sacrifice for His people who has satisfied justice. And listen, if you're not in Christ this morning, sidestep all your excuses. If you will come to Him, He will receive you. He rejects none who come to Him. Now, none come apart from grace, and we know that. But if you have conviction of sin and a desire to turn to Christ, it's because He put it there. And He will receive you. And if you don't have a desire to come to Christ this morning, it should scare you to death. Because the gospel is true. Because we have a risen Savior. Church, His salvation is perfect. Every one of your sins have been dealt with. Even the ones you can't believe He would forgive you for. If He's forgiven you for one, He's forgiven you for all of them. Washed away in His blood, obliterated on the cross. His righteousness is now your record and that all given to you through faith. And He doesn't ask for a perfect faith. You know when you'll have a perfect faith? Not now. <laughs> when you're glorified. Just like anything else. Are you trusting in Jesus? If so, He's your Savior. And He saves us from sin and from Satan and from the law and from the world and from death and hell and the wrath to come. He saves fully in every way and He saves freely to us because He has paid the penalty. He saves His people by being the Lamb of God and taking the condemnation we deserve. But how could He do that? Who is this Savior? How could He accomplish such a huge deliverance? Because He's not just a man. He has the power and the authority to accomplish fully accomplished redemption. Look what the angel says back in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is. A Savior who is. Christ the Lord. Look at that. And look, see, in America, we see Jesus Christ in the Bible. We think that's His last name. Don't we? Until somebody tells us better. You know, it's Jeff Duncan or Cindy Duncan or Mike DeAndrea. You know, it's, this is Latin. That's not what it is at all. It's his title. You know, the, 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 the word Christ is, is Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one. It means anointed one. And the question is anointed with What? And if we read through our Old Testament, which we will, you'll see those three offices in your Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. Those were the anointed offices. They anointed them with oil as they were ordained or placed into service in that role. But what did the oil signify? It was, the oil wasn't the power. 
No, it, it symbolizes and signifies the Holy Spirit. The very power of God. Anointed with power to do what God has called us to do. To know what God has called us to know. To be what God has called us to be. And in fulfillment of those offices, and I've said before, and say again, everything in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, in fulfillment of that, Christ is our anointed prophet, priest, and king. He is the Messiah, the long-hoped-for Messiah. I mean, from Genesis 3.15 on, thousands of years of hope have come to fruition on that day as the angel says unto you is born this Savior who is this Christ, this Messiah you've been looking for. It's not wrong for you when you see Christ in your English Bible to think Messiah. In fact, it'll help you just treating that as a last name. Mashiach, Messiah, the anointed one, anointed with power to fulfill and do his work, his mediator, grace to his people. I mean, Matthew starts his gospel this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And that's so much prophecy there. The son of Abraham. Anointed with power. Jesus is one person. With two natures. And we've already talked about, I started this series talking about the arm of the Lord from Isaiah 53. And that being Christ and showing you how that was pointing forward to Christ. And omnipotence was incarnate to save us. And His divine nature as the arm of the Lord, omnipotent. His human nature anointed with the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. Jesus is the coming anointed king, Messiah, prophesied who would accomplish redemption. And see, they missed the first part. Most of them did. I mean, even John the Baptist struggled for a while because they saw the Messiah to be this conquering king who would come, devastate Israel's enemies, set up the kingdom with them in the center, and they'd live happily ever after. Well, there's something that had to happen before the conquering king comes, and that's the suffering servant. The baby born in the manger, living under his own law, dying for his people's sins, being raised from his grave, ascending on high, reigning, and coming again someday. He is the Messiah who has accomplished redemption that is being applied. This redemption he has accomplished was planned in eternity past. It wasn't sort of an afterthought of God. It wasn't a plan B. Chose us in, before the foundation of the world, Hebrews 1.4. If you struggle with that, I get it, but it's true. And it's just. And it's holy. And it's right. And it is the foundation for your peace. Your God and His sovereignty. But this salvation was planned in eternity past. It was prophesied in the Old Testament and it arrived in the incarnation with this Savior who was born, who is the Christ anointed to save His people. Peter tells when he's preaching, preaching to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, tells him, it says this, and he's telling them what's going on with the gospel and with Christ. And it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, look, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit power. 
And he went about doing good and healing all oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. See, he is the Savior who is the Messiah or Christ. And as such, he has the power to save, the very power of God. So you can already see, even by using an indefinite article with Savior, we're talking about a one-of-a-kind Savior here. There's only one Messiah. There's only one Christ. There's only one who was prophesied. There's only one who has saved his people. And it is this one. Peter said in his preaching in Acts, there's no other name under heaven by which men, women, boys, and girls must be saved other than Jesus Christ. And I know our post-postmodern culture doesn't like that narrowness, but that God likes it. He sacrificed his son and he did it once and he's accomplished redemption through this powerful Savior. And he offers it to you as a free gift. He has both the power and he has the authority. Look. Look back in verse 11. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Now look what comes next. The Lord. No, wait, 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 wait. Baby, this big. In this... Lord? Well, you must just mean human. But how could he even be a master? But it means more than that. More than that. We've already seen the word Lord used up in verse 9. And this Greek word is used in a lot of places. And it, Lord, Master, Sir, a lot of different ways to translate it. But it's curious. The one with supreme power and authority. It's used to translate the divine name when it's used of God. Yahweh in the Old Testament translated kurios in the New. Lord. This one, this son, this baby in that manger, that Savior. Amazing. Think about that. A baby, this angel saying, a Savior's been born. He's the Messiah. The one prophesied to come, and he is Lord. What kind of Lord was he? Just a human boss, sir, manager, or more than that? Well, if you look in Hebrews chapter 1, you'll get an answer to that question. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, and Hebrews is all about the supremacy of Christ, and, and we won't go into any more than that this morning. I encourage you to read that. But in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says this, of the Son, in contrast to the angels and His greatness over the angels and everything else, it says in verse 8, of the Son, the Father says this. Now look at verse 10. And you, Lord, curios, there's our word. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That's the Father speaking about the Son, saying that the heavens are the work of the Son's hands, that He is Creator God. He's quoting Psalm 102, 25 to 27, which is a prayer to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, covenant name of God. And the Father is applying it to the Son, saying the heavens are the work of your hands. Look at Isaiah gives us some clarity in Isaiah 45, 12. Thus says the Lord, look, divine name, all caps, L-O-R-D. 
Now look who created the earth. Now watch this. I made the earth and created man on it. Now look, it was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. So as the divine, eternal Son of God, He is Lord in everything it means to be God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God. And it was His hands that stretched out the heavens. And in comparing Scripture with Scripture, we see that it was the Lord's hands. See, this this Savior, this Christ, this Messiah, this Lord is the Lord. He, He is God tucking on a true human nature to save His people. In that manger, He was Lord. And as the Creator Lord, He has sovereign authority. Mind-boggling as it is, even in that manger, both power over and control of the entire universe, there's not a maverick molecule, as R.C. Sproul was famous for saying. If there was one, it could mess it all up. Look at Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. encourage you to meditate on the greatness of your Savior. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, think Old Testament, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Contrast. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, comma. Now we're going to talk about who that Son is. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, the Son, He is the radiance of the glory of God. You can't misunderstand that unless you want to. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the, now look, in case you did, the exact imprint of His nature. Whose nature? God's. And look at this Son who He's spoken to us too. Now watch this, and we're talking about His hands and creation and all of that. And He, the Son, upholds the universe by the Word of His power. This baby who was in the manger according to His divine nature, all of that was still true. Lord, At his birth. He didn't give up his deity to become man. That's all sorts of heresy. Two natures, one person forever. We've already talked about that. The God-man. Truly God and truly man in one person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprints of a day. I mean, Paul says in Colossians that the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. In the Son. It's not the fullness of Michael the Archangel. It's not the fullness of some lesser God. It's the fullness of God, the Lord, who dwells in bodily form. You see, He, he, he is our Savior, and He's qualified to be our Savior because He has the power to save the very power of God. And in fact, He is divine. According to his divine nature, his son of God. So that he has the authority and the power to say, He has interceded and is interceding for us. So that our hope is and should be in him. He is Lord. 
That's a deep statement. You see from Philippians 2, everybody that's ever lived will bow the knee before God and, and, and confess that Christ is Lord. Even in the Old Testament, God says, every, every knee will bow to me. Why? Because He's mean? No, because He's Lord. And you might live under all sorts of delusion in this life, but when you take your last breath and you'll find yourself standing before Him, you, I mean, you know now, but you will know in a way you've never known. He's Lord. And I have to answer to Him. But remember, see, I'm mainly preaching to Christians this morning. This is your Lord. This is your Savior. This is your salvation. In this full, qualified, sufficient Savior who has a perfect sacrifice and redemption for His people and who will finish the work He's begun. He will keep us all the way to the end. He's the Lord of righteousness. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of the angels, good and evil. He's Lord of all men. He is Lord of all kings of the earth. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And our response should be glory. Hallelujah. And our response should be what we sung. Since that is true and you've done that for me, take my life and let it be. All about you. My King. He's King of all the saints and He rules for the saints. I think this is an accurate translation. I'm going to show you. Um, this is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, and if the guys didn't catch it, it'll come up in the ESV. But I'll show you where to change it. And He put everything under His feet. Everything is under Christ's feet. And appointed Him as the head for everything for the church. ESV says two. Holman Christian Standard Bible says four. In this instance, I think Holman is right. He is Lord of everything for the church. He's ruling for us. He's our King who's accomplishing His will in this sinful, dark world. And He uses us in the process. Does Him being King for us and ruler for us mean that we won't suffer? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it means He will work in and through us in our suffering even to bring glory to His name and bring others to a knowledge of Him. He doesn't promise us comfort. He promises us conformity. Into the image of Christ. See, our full comfort is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. And from that perspective, we'll look back and go, wow. How gracious and merciful you were. We'll be trophies of His grace. But church, be encouraged. Be emboldened. Your Savior is the anointed one. The one who has power to save. He is Lord of all. He is the one with authority and power and control. He is accomplishing His purpose. People are coming to faith in Him around the world. Muslims, and you name the religion, are coming to faith in Him around the world. People are coming to faith in Him in this country. He is saving His people. And nothing has ever interrupted that and nothing will. And some of those who have proclaimed the death of God have gone to face His judgment and their homes have been made Bible tract societies and stuff. You can join them if you want to, but I pray you won't. This one has ultimate authority and control. This one is the salvation, the Savior. And the cool thing is, I'll, I'll give you one more time, He offers that salvation to you as a free gift. 
because he paid it all. Right? You receive it as a gift or you don't receive it. Are you trusting and resting in Jesus? Has he convicted you of your sin and going your own way such that you in grief turn, repent to him and receive him as your savior and therefore have a new heart that wants to now walk with him in ever increasing glory until he returns? I guess my application today, well, I know it is. It's what you're going to see. It's trust him. Don't look at your circumstances. Many times your circumstances are terrible. But the cross was pretty terrible. And the apostles had given up hope, and yet what happened? Resurrection. Trust Him, church. Trust Him. Trust Him with you and your life and be a living sacrifice for Him. Take my life and let it be. Trust Him with those who have gone before you into His presence or who will before you pass on. Trust Him with everything. Look to Him as your Savior and know that it's a full and free salvation. If you're lost, listen, this might be the last chance you get. And I believe in sovereignty and all that, but it could be true. But even if it's not, listen, this is the truth about who God is, who His Son is, and what salvation is. Turn and trust in Him today. Repent. Repent. Change of heart. You know, we're called on to do that, but we know that only God can do that and give us a new heart. Turn and trust in this Savior, this Messiah, this Lord who has come to save. And if we are converted, if we are the church, trust Him in Him alone. And then the only other application I have this morning, proclaim Him. Follow the angel. God doesn't let the angels keep going and preaching the gospel. He's entrusted that to us. Proclaim Him. Tell others about Him. Don't tell them what you don't know. Just tell them what you know. Christ is Savior. God, just use the word. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day. And he offers that salvation to us as a free gift to those who will trust him. See, we're going to sing in a minute. And we all, I've told you on this before. We sing better than we live, but we should be striving for it, right? And so I'll challenge you with what we're going to sing. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born. Yes, I was sitting on the bottom of the pool. I was in desperate condition and I needed someone to deliver me and thankfully my brother did. But I've told you there's a much greater salvation and a much greater Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look to him for salvation, you can know that all of his power and all of his authority has come to bear to bring you his full and free salvation. Trust and rest in him today to live as Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray for a bold and courageous faith that we'll have the courage to trust you with the things we understand and the things we don't understand, but ultimately with the salvation of our soul, that we will rest fully in your grace, rest fully in your sacrifice, rest fully in the fact that you are Savior and we are not. And that we will have our new hearts fed with the truth from your word so that we love you and are grateful to you and are live for you, are living for you and growing in it. Lord, I pray for the smallest child to the oldest adult listening to me today. That if any of the people under the sound of my voice are not Christians, I pray that you'd grant them repentance and faith, that you would cause them to turn Lord Jesus, and trust in you, to cry out to you, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Whatever that looks like in that heart, bring about responses of repentance and faith in those who don't know you. And those of us who do, Lord, we still have much to repent for and much to trust for. So help us to be living lives of repentance and faith so that more and more and more. We're not telling a lie when we say, for me, to live is all about Christ. My identity is Christ. My hope is Christ. My, 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 my pursuit is Christ. The reason I live is to live and follow Christ and to live like Him. There's so much more we can say about what that means. But make our confession true that for us to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So save those who don't know you and strengthen those who do. And may this, this Christmas season, as we've looked at your names and titles, have been just another season of growth and grace as we focus on the truth of the birth of our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Work in our hearts, what is pleasing in your sight. We thank you and we pray it all in the holy name.